down a comedy show that combines laughs with lessons on the art of comedy with your favorite Boston comedians. We have a show once a month at EMW Bookstore at 934 Mass Ave, where we invite three comics to perform, and then to join us for a sit-down discussion to answer the audience's questions on joke writing, the comedic process, and more. We're your hosts, Christina. And I'm Kwasi Mensa. And we're here to introduce a recording of the sit-down discussion from our show in October. We had with us comedians Kent Reed, Rick Canavan, and Phoebe Engel. The show is hosted by comedian Kwasi Mensa, and our next show will be Tuesday, December 16th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. at EMW Bookstore. You can check out more information at our website, thesusd.tumblr.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. But yeah, uh, we're going to have, since we just had a bunch of people come in, uh, we're just going to have you guys just uh, say your name uh, and how long you've been doing stand-up for. I'm, oh, I'm Ken Reed. I've been doing stand-up for 12 years. Uh, I'm Rick Hamm, and I've been doing stand-up for 11 and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> this is too much like a support group. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, my name is Phoebe Engel, and I've been doing stand-up for four and a half years. All right, everybody's here, right? Yeah, this is not, this is not necessarily the mic's okay. I don't think it's necessary. All right, so the question uh, that we like to start off with, uh, and I'm going to pose it to all three of you, uh, I guess, what? Uh, how would you describe your joke writing process? I don't have one. <laughs> I, don't, I, like, I don't write jokes down. Right. I, well, I figure for you it's very different because you're very much a storyteller. I'm really bad at memorizing things. Mm -hmm. So I just, that's why it's easier for me to do a story because it's, I just, it happens so I can remember it. I do, if I write like a one-liner joke, I usually end up just giving it to someone else because I'm not trying to do it. It doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> have, uh, have you always like done stories or has it never been like, um, never tried to do like... For like, Bits and whatnot. for like the first three years that I did comedy, I, I was doing like basically what I thought a stand-up comedian should sound like. So it was okay. I mean, but it wasn't. Um, it was maybe three or four years in. I was like, oh, I'd rather actually do this stuff that I'd rather watch. And I got uh, I also have pretty much no process. Um, <laughs> I have been through almost any process you could have, and it's never really worked for me. Uh, yeah. Like I've been, while you're walking away, welcome to the yeah. four people who came for the best part of the show. <laughs> uh, nothing better than walk, listening to comedians talk about comedy writing. <laughs> <laughs> comedians, it's comedians you've never heard of. <laughs> um, I, uh, like I used to, you know, I'd want to write a joke about a topic, and I'd write everything I could think out about it, and then just leave it aside for a couple days and then try to make it <coughs> funny. Never really worked. Uh, so now I've just given up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you buy those books, that's what they tell you to do. That is yeah. what they do. Yeah. yeah. Give up, and then things start to happen. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say anything's been happening. Take that advice, new comedians. Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> All right, Phoebe? Um, I think my, I, I, I guess it's different all the time. When I started, it was more like I had all these jokes that I were like, these are great, and they're going to be awesome, and people are going to love them, and then they didn't. Mm -hmm. And so now it's kind of like as things happen, I come up with stuff. Mm -hmm. So either like I'll be driving, and I'll be like, oh, that's a funny thing that will mm -hmm. kind of like meld its way together through something I'm listening to Did on the radio. Did you pull over first? <laughs> no, I just hit shit. Or okay. <laughs> uh, just like something I'll say, and I'll be like, oh, that's a funny thing I said, and then I'll leave it, make it into a joke. But as far as like sitting down and writing, like this is writing time to be productive. Nothing happens in that time but like Facebook. And <laughs> okay. So I guess, uh, but do you have anything that like you've learned over the years and like, all right, this is how I oh, make a joke better? Process now. Um, yeah, I've, I've found like, that like for me, if I'm gonna, if I have a joke, like I'm either convinced it's gonna work and I'll just let it fly on a real show and I'm like, no, this is funny. I like it, it's making me laugh. Or it's like, ah, oh, here's an interesting idea. I don't know if it's just interesting or a joke uh, or like, in, or like, 
insightful or it's a joke, and so then I'll run it through a couple of open mics before I subject an audience to it. So okay. I, I guess that's more my process. So like I won't go out to open mics with stuff uh, if I don't have anything new. So here's the so. tip. Don't go to open mics and be a comedian, because it'll be all bad. <laughs> Unless it's good. But that might be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's the process. Okay. Well, I guess, like, uh, uh, I guess, I know, Phoebe, you run your open mic and you go to test some stuff out, and I know I've seen you at the Green Dragon. Uh, but I guess uh, for uh, Rick and Ken, do you guys ever go out to open mics? Do you ever have, like, when, how do you test new material? I did when I first started and then stopped immediately. <laughs> uh, it, did, it, it just didn't, it made me worse because I would go and I would just feel awful mm -hmm. after. So I just, I usually will just, like if I have something new, I'll just sandwich it between stuff that's not new. Or I just, I don't care if I do something and it doesn't go over well. Mm -hmm. So I'll just try must, it. That must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try it and, you know, feel like it. The, the bad thing about my stuff is that it's terrible. Uh, no, it's that <laughs> the stuff tends to be longer, so it's like, it, you know, if I start a story and it's not going well, I kind of commit it to five minutes of the story. <laughs> uh, I uh, go to open mics a lot still. Uh, I think they're still really valuable for me. Um, I actually use them to try and force myself to not get bored with myself. Like, if I... For a while I wasn't going to open mics and I wasn't writing a lot of new material, so now I try to make myself go to at least one a week and have new material for that open mic. Even if it's not going to be, like I've written jokes in the car on the way to the open mic, mm -hmm. uh, just to have something. But uh, I also don't just keep going back. Like, uh, if I don't, if I have something I've never done at an open mic, I'll go to that open mic and do that joke. If I haven't written a joke, I won't go up because I don't really see the point. Yeah. Doing it. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think open mics are still really important and good as far as trying out new material. Okay. I think everyone's different, you know, so some people need to That's keep not doing true. it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the opposite of a melting pot? <laughs> everyone's the same. Well, as far as like developing goes, like you, you'll figure out what your process is and then you'll figure out that people are different, you know, I guess yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, at first you're like, Oh, I need to keep doing this, and you're like, oh no, wait, no, I don't. Maybe I'll just do all my stuff on stage for the first time, and that will work for me. Yeah, it's not, it's not like building bookcases. It's like designing furniture, which is, which is a pretentious, stupid way to say it. Can you, like, like, can you expand yeah, that? Because you're not being like an apprentice carpenter, so you're not like, oh, I just practice, practice, practice thing, and now I can, I can lay down a hardwood floor, and it's great all the time. It's more like. I designed a chair and it looked kind of cool, but someone sat on it and they injured themselves. So I need to try and rework it so that it looks cool and it also is like structurally, you know, like you kind of have to, it's not, um, it's not like a book step-by-step -step process that anyone can follow. Yeah. It's good call. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. No. Thank you for coming out. fun. <laughs> Thing I've done, it was kind of fun. Here. They're like, let's go to that weird meeting. Well, I think they saw the end of Ken's set, and they're like, oh, there's more comedy. Oh. He's over, let's go in. <laughs> I feel partially responsible for that. Oh. They kind of go being like, comedy? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was an opportunity for me to try that Bill from the Jews joke again. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, Phoebe talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, but I guess, do you ever do a joke and you're like, this is going to be great? Uh, and like, have, is there a time where like that's worked out? Or, and then is there a time where that's worked out? Or is there, and there's also a time where like, this is going to be great. And then you go on stage and like, it doesn't work. Or like, how do you deal with either of those situations? I know that Bill from the Jews joke. <laughs> I was very excited about that one. No, I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. I feel like whenever you write a joke, you're not... Usually, like, oh, this is not gonna go well. Yeah. <laughs> you just wouldn't do it. Like, you just expect that it's probably gonna get a lot. Some laugh. people would. I definitely see people <laughs> yeah. like, I'm trying to write a thing that's gonna make everybody mad. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't like those people. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've had times where it wasn't necessarily like I'm like, this joke is great, it's going to kill. But I've had jokes that like, you know, pretty much always did well. And then I'd, I'd be doing it and it would be like blank stares and I'd, I'd come to like a horrific realization about the audience. Like I used to have this joke about how my barber didn't know what a ventriloquist was, and so he was describing a ventriloquist to me mm -hmm. um, in a way that someone who'd never seen a ventriloquist and didn't know it was a thing would describe it to somebody. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is funny because everyone knows what that is, and <laughs> so like, and halfway through talking about, it, I realized that the whole audience also didn't know what ventriloquists were. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, "I don't see an issue with this." <laughs> 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 So I guess, uh, can each of you uh, pick uh, a bit you did tonight, part of your set, and talk about how you developed it, how it like how it's gotten different from when you first initially thought about it to how you've polished it off and thought of tags and stuff like that on it? Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Rick, go first. Uh, okay, so that Bill from the Jews <laughs> I wrote that on uh, last Friday, and I have yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to change the wording around so that anyone else thinks it's funny. <laughs> I have complete faith in that joke, I just don't know how to... Do you guys think it would be funnier if I started by saying uh, that I try to keep people happy and then say you guys is voice? Okay, all right. Well, I'll talk to myself. Um, well, how I think long the podcast listeners should know that you're not talking about a guy named Bill from a <laughs> <laughs> I am Bill of the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> William Jewish guy. Um, you're talking about Bill? Like, just call an invoice. That's the problem. <laughs> so, I guess, how long? Would you state, like, every comedian's had a joke they think is hilarious and then it doesn't work out? Like, how long do you stick with a joke? I will never let that joke out. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a joke uh, six years ago that I still, if I can sneak it in. <laughs> was, uh, the joke was, it's about having a stroke. And uh, oh, it's, of course it's it's <laughs> one of the signs of having a stroke is that you can uh, smell burnt toast, which always really freaked me out because not only do I live a pretty unhealthy lifestyle, but I'm a shitty cook. <laughs> I will do that anytime. <laughs> I never get to laugh. I will always. <laughs> you should you should specify that you can smell burnt toast when there is no burnt toast present, because that would be a weird sign of stroke if like normal people couldn't smell burnt toast. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about making it yours and like 
Oh, big thing to me. I, oh, I think, um, I think, uh, it becomes kind of mine because I think my stage presence is kind of like, oh, I know that girl. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, like, a real girly girl, and I'm not, like, a real like, super hot mess. It's kind of like, oh, I've got a friend or an aunt or something that looks mm -hmm. like that. And it's kind of like mean, but not too mean. Mm -hmm. And so it's just I had to become okay with being mean in the joke and people will relate to it. Am I mm -hmm. actually being mean? Does that make any sense? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I guess you're talking about uh, figuring out how you present on stage, yeah. your stage presence and your voice. Mm -hmm. I guess for all three of you, like how long do you think it took you to find your voice or how you present yourself on stage mm -hmm. and what have the evolutions of that been in your career so far? I think there's sort of two camps of comedy that you could have. Um, there's boys and girls, and that's it. You, know, <laughs> you, could have, you have people who are like, all right, you write a joke that, that the joke itself is so sort of mathematically perfect that anyone tells it and anyone laughs. Or you have material that people really enjoy, but the next day if they're trying to convey to their friends the show, it, the people will have no idea what to talk Like, they'll just be like, you had to be there type stuff, mm -hmm. which to me is like the, the thing that's much more desirable because otherwise just write a joke. <coughs> or you end up with things like, um, you know, I've seen comedians, like, come to blows if comedians actually fought people, but um, <laughs> got angry fighting over like the worst joke that they both happened to independently write because <laughs> it was just really terrible joke but they both thought yeah. it was a great joke and they're like you saw and I'm like guys that's a terrible thing you're fighting over like you're, you're fighting over like a half a half a cigarette you found in a gutter or a <laughs> cigarette that is like just go buy new ones it was I'm not it's late <laughs> I guess do you want to talk about uh, your voice specifically though, how you developed yours? Um, I guess once I started just doing story, like just doing stuff that I wanted to hear rather than stuff I thought an audience wanted to hear, like just doing stuff that I yeah. thought I would want to watch um, <clears throat> rather than like, oh, this is what other people want to watch, because nothing is worse to me than when people are like, and I hear people say this all the time where they'll be like, Oh, I don't really like that joke, but the audience always likes it. And I'm like, don't do it. Like, yeah. it's there's no other reason. I mean, I I think a lot of people like to pretend it's their job, so they're like, you gotta get the job done. Any means necessary, but it's not anybody's job in Boston. It's you know, it's really it's like it's for your own entertainment. Like, you go up and it's it, it's obviously better when the audience likes it, but you know, we're not. We're not <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I don't um, really think that I found a voice yet, but that's, well, it's, I guess it's because as people, as you grow older, you change as a person, so I am doing whatever I do now as the person that I am now, and as I get older, things will change, so maybe then I will have found my voice, but I'm, uh, I feel like I'm closer to myself now when I tell jokes, like I, I, I try to not really be me. <laughs> kind of silly, and I, I kind of try to incorporate that in the jokes that I tell, uh, and not, I guess it's the same thing as what Ken was saying, is that it's, I'm just not doing whatever, like I'm doing that things that are very Rick Canavan kind of comedy. Yeah, because otherwise, like, what's the point of you as that person doing the comedy? Because it's like, it's a weird thing for, like, strangers, listen to me and what I say, so you want to at least have it be as you as possible, like, I, you know, I always try to... I always try to hope that, um, you know, if you're talking to me off stage, it's pretty much like you would see me on stage. So it's always weird to me. Like, yeah. You guys have definitely met people, I'm sure, that like they get off stage and you talk to them and they're like a totally. Yeah, that's not you. Yeah, it's very. Unless it's a character. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's odd. Yeah, no. Uh, I would say for me, like, like, we're talking about developing into your character, like yeah. a stage persona. Yeah. Um, I came up like both, like I started in Boston, but I started like doing shows up in Maine. And so I kind of had this struggle of like two different audiences I was performing Can for. you talk about the difference between yeah, the two Yeah, um, I, I would say up in Maine people want like more relatable, like just for the specific rooms I'm playing. There's a lot of like really smart, fun rooms in Portland, I'm not saying people aren't smart in other rooms or anything. I'm saying like some people, it's like, I worked all day and now I'm gonna come and I just wanna hear relatable material and I wanna hear about like family and stuff. And so I was kind of making stuff for those rooms and then it was like making stuff for Boston. 
and like I couldn't like change them. They weren't too changeable, and I didn't really start to feel like like a, like a real comedian until I could do the same set at the comedy studio in Boston and like Lewiston, Maine. And so I guess that's how I kind of developed my character. And I feel like my character now, and I think I'm still evolving. Like I've been doing this like literally half the time as these two. Like I'm yeah, no. there, yeah. <laughs> I was invited, um, but uh, I I think it's kind of just like uh, you know, like I'm making fun of people in a playful way that's not like mean. But to Rick's point too, I mean, I think I think for the most part, the people that end up doing comedy, they usually start sort of post-college-ish. I mean, not all the time, but people are usually like 22, 23-ish when they start, and I don't think most people know their character as a person no. at that point, you know? So people are kind of still uh, like, yeah, evolving. Like, yeah, I was 25. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, people's mid-20s, early-20s, it's still kind of fluid anyway. So, I, you know, I, translating whatever they are onto a stage is, Probably pretty difficult if there isn't. I think when people start out, a lot of times they sort of chameleon into whatever the comedy scene is like. Like you started out, mm-hmm. I started out in a similar scene that was like it was just the like easy comedy, and we're just like I got a job at the brick factory. I'm done for the rest of my life. Uh, so you would just do is the that brick factory a comedy club or <laughs> it's the only thing that produces in Rhode Island? Okay, uh, so I. <laughs> Uh, I the same thing in Rhode <laughs> Terrific. If you if you weren't just like a lot of people would start out and they just do whatever they saw everybody else doing. Yeah. Around, and then yeah. Well, and part of, I mean, part of that too is with anything creative like music or whatever. When someone first starts, they kind of eat the things they like. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, which is hilarious when you end up seeing like some twenty-two-year-old kid who's like, "I'm fucking Mark Maron. Let me tell you about the bitches I've been dating." <laughs> like, you don't do it. You're just, you know, you're like 22. Like, there's no. Talk about 22 year old stuff. You know what? Fuck those 22 year olds. (laughs) (laughs) Can I actually ask a question? Uh, uh, yeah. Let's let's go straight to the question. Let's go straight to the question. Question It's relevant to what you guys are talking about. That's why I thought of it. I was just curious. So, how do you know, like, when you're creating your persona, like, how mean is mean? Like, where do you draw the line? Like where, when it comes where to your your own feelings of being offended would be. I think. Yeah. Like. Okay, so like your your own self. Yeah. Like I, I do plenty of jokes that I think other people might just be like, oh, that was this kind of mean. But like I don't think it's mean. Well, I guess uh, I guess it depends on what the what the victim of the comedy is. So um, you know if you're if you're laughing, it's laugh at and laugh with. I'll give you an example. Like if you remember um, in Living Color. Remember that show? Mm-hmm. There was a character called the Handyman, and that is a hateful, mean character. It was literally Damon Wayans being a retarded person, and that was the joke. Like, that was literally the joke. But there's a way to do that in a funny way. Like, if the joke was how people are <coughs> reacting to him, and you're, you're laughing at those people, it's not really mean anymore. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's the same sort of basic ingredients, but it's it's the sort of the subject of the joke or the, the framing that you put around it can make a big difference. So it's not really necessarily like a line you cross or a topic, it's sort of the focus. But there are, I mean, it, it depends too. I mean, there's perceptions reality, so there are people who will be offended by anything. I mean, mm-hmm. there are people that if you just mention the word abortion are offended. Or if you mention a disease someone in their family had, even if you're just mentioning the word as not no joke attached to it at all, they'll get offended. So it's it's kind of like, are you doing the joke because it's a joke, or are you saying something to get a reaction from people, which is not necessarily the joke. That's usually what I get the line I try. I just I, I don't want anyone to ever not have fun. Oh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. So, well, like, but like on my own terms, if I feel strongly, I'm like, no, this is this is silly. You shouldn't get upset about it. But if I think at all, like maybe I'm crossing the line. Maybe I'll like do some serious rethinking of the joke. You know what? Just accept that I might be ignorant <coughs> of the topic and really think of whether or not I'm going to do this for like a broader audience. But that's that's just me. That's not how I think everyone should do it. You don't want to intentionally alienate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some people might alienate themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I have a bunch of other questions, but we can also open it up to 
Anybody has questions here that they want to ask the group? Zach? Uh, yeah, is there a, a particularly a formative set that each of you guys have had that kind of like brought about some kind of insight into stand up, whether it was good or bad? Like, does a particular performance stand out like that you guys? We, we've seen as spectators? No, sorry, that you have done yourselves. I don't think it was a specific performance, but the, there used to be these two guys in Boston called the Walsh Brothers that used to do a show at the Improv Boston. And it was a late night Thursday night show, and no one from the club was there. They basically just gave them the keys and said, don't burn the place down. And it ended up being this really weird show that we would all just go to, and people would do whatever. Like, stuff didn't work, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but you'd see people do weird, different stuff. And I think that's what made me go, oh, you know what, I'm just going to go tell a story and see if it works instead of trying to do a stand-up set because this room people are doing all kinds of weird stuff. Mm. And so when I first started doing that, I was like, oh, this, this feels better. You know? So I, I think it, it, was, it wasn't necessarily a particular set, but it was just like a, a, an environment that allowed me to try, to, to try something. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, when I uh, left for Rhode Island and came into Boston and started mostly performing at the comedy studio, I don't mean to be too, because you know, I worked there, but like that's... The first time I kind of felt like I was at home and like I could just kind of be a little different. And I, when I came in, like there were a lot of people that I looked up to a lot that I thought were really great. Ken was one of them. Phoebe was not doing comedy at that time. <laughs> uh, Although he still looked up to her, which was <laughs> <laughs> uh, So I, I would see all these comics uh, that I really liked and I just kind of wanted to be in that conversation. And I looked up to those guys a lot and tried to use them in like a friendly competition sort of way of like they're working on new stuff I need to be working on new stuff they're doing great I need to I need to be working harder at this because this is the sort of thing that I like and this is the sort of thing I think fits with what I think is funny yeah, I think that a lot of people miss out on the fact that almost more important than doing comedy in a city is watching comedy in a city yeah, because you it either if it's stuff you don't like you either go I don't like that and why don't I like that? Send you with us up, or you go, wow, that was great, and it, that person's doing stuff in a way that I would, my brain doesn't work, and then you start to think about stuff differently, and it makes you better because you. It's not even you know sometimes it's competition, but sometimes it's just like inspiration. Like you go, oh, I didn't think of approaching something that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I don't think it was so much like a like a venue or a time and a place, but I think. I really started like getting comedy and knew what I needed to do to grow as a comedian. Once kind of like the buzz of starting to do comedy wore off, that kind of like year, year, year and a half long, like, oh, I've made new friends and this is funny and I've got all these ideas. And I was like, so many of these ideas are garbage. And like now this is really what I have to do. And then eventually I was like, oh, someone asked me to do a show. That's not like, you know, free for a bar for two people. You get a little more perspective on it after the first two years, probably. Yeah. Once, yeah, once your friends stop coming to see you and the novelty sort of wears yeah. off. I mean, there's a great saying that, like, if, if your friends still come to see you do comedy, you're not doing it, you haven't been doing it long enough. Yeah. <laughs> and the weird thing is, too, when people first start, they're like, I want all my friends to come see me, and they have all their friends go, and that's probably the one time you don't want them to see you. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, any other audience questions? Speaking of that, um, have you ever found that the presence of people in the audience that you might know might change how you perform? You know, your um, delivery or, I, or do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mom's there. I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes like I, I do a lot of stuff about my family, and, and if they're there, sometimes it does. Uh, you have to tone it down or something. Or? I usually sometimes just want to do it. Oh. Um, just, it depends on who it is. Oh, like, my mom has no sense of humor at all. My dad, some stuff I will, some stuff I won't. Okay. But they're the only people I can think of that like. Well, my mom likes the dark stuff. She likes that, like, I talk about her stabbing someone to get to their heart and, like, talking about her not getting an abortion. No, <laughs> she just has a really dark sense of humor. For me, it's just like I don't want her to see me fail. Like if I have a bad set. Ah, so it's like a, a yeah. So it gets in my head. Same with like really close friends who are like, "What the fuck you been doing these past four years? Just this <laughs> terrible thing." Just <laughs> and so that will psych me out a little. But huh. yeah. I always get a little thrown off when 
someone you know from a different context yeah. just happens to show up. So I've like, like to show, do that. Yeah, like it'll just be someone you work with and they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm performing. Like, you do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, it, then at the time it's not weird, but then it's usually always like a little awkward at the time to see Like the next day at the urinal yes. or something. <laughs> I don't think that I perform any differently depending on who's there. Uh, I think that like if someone's like a family member or something, they're the odds of the universe that it's a bad show that night is much more up. But I don't think I perform. <laughs> I have. I, I think I wish I performed differently in front of people. Like I, I thought about that more because like I've done shows. Uh, I did a show in Western Mass that my mother came to. That um, things weren't going great, and I kind of lost it a little bit on the crowd. And I kind of forgot my mom was there. <laughs> like, I didn't say anything like, ah, fuck you. But like I did this bit that was. I did a bit about. Uh, you know, so many years ago in Harvard Square, a woman with breast cancer assaulted me just out of nowhere. And I did that bit. So I was just like, fuck this crowd. How did you know she had breast cancer? Oh, she told me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what had happened was that I was telling a story to someone, one of my friends, and the friend was like, oh man, why you gotta be such a drag? And at that moment, this woman walked by and thought we were calling her a drag queen. Uh, so oh. then she looks back at me and my friends and we're like, this guy is definitely the prick that said that <laughs> my face. How does your mother fit into this? Uh, because she had just gotten over breast cancer. Oh. And, yeah, it was very uncomfortable. Uh, the audience didn't know that, but they already didn't like me. But, uh, sitting at the table after the show was very like, oh, I wish I remember that you were here. I like to go to Marlboro? No, uh, I don't know where that was. I like to look at it like jazz and that I'm affected by the people who aren't there. It's the bitch you don't So I guess um, I think you mentioned like having people in like different contexts. Like how much do you silo off like comedy from other people or do you like or do you talk about the fact that you do comedy at day you your day job and stuff like that? I do because people see me <laughs> and then come by booze. As a direct result. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whenever it comes up, people will be shocked that I do comedy at work, and they'll be like, "Yeah, funny." I'm like, "Work." <laughs> <laughs> like, my, my family actually thinks I'm very quiet and like very conservative mm -hmm. because I don't have tattoos on my face. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you're. I think you're just different around different groups of people generally, but um. You know, I definitely don't hide. It's not like a secret identity or anything. Mm -hmm. I, although I was at, as at work a couple weeks ago, and um, this was sound like bragging, but I had a big picture of me in the New York Times, and this guy was reading the paper at his desk and had no idea I'd do comedy or anything. Mm -hmm. So he was just <laughs> taking his coffee. <laughs> 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 I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Again? Uh, do you silo off like the comedy part of yourself? Like, do people from that know you in other contexts of your life? Like, how much do you share the fact that you comedy with them? Uh, I when, I when I'm the work the job I'm working now, uh, I told them as soon as I got hired, like I do comedy mm -hmm. just so in case I don't know in case I got weird and also in case they were like we need you to cover the ship and like I can't I stop at night. Yeah. You know? Rick is a sex I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess my entire life is different from like where I am at work. Like I don't just share my life that yeah. much with people at work. I'm also alone at work, so it's a weird. Sure. Sure. I'm just alone. I'm like ah, I Do you tell like your family you do comedy? Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, any other audience questions? I have a giant list of questions. So oh really? Like, Oh yeah, I sent in a lot of fake ones. Uh, yeah, someone said this big long story about gay sex. I'm not. I'm not even. Is that Jared? Did you do? Is that you? I copied from Savage Love. I will. I do not have it written down. My phone died. Uh, okay. I guess. Uh, I guess uh, Phoebe talked about a little bit about doing jokes in uh, two different contexts. Like how, uh, like when you have a joke that works with like one group of people, 
and like you find it doesn't work. Like, what do you do to make your jokes like more universal? Like, what do you do if like, all right, this joke works. If I happen to have this group in the audience, or if I'm like in Cambridge, what do I need to do to like make sure it will also work in Rhode Island? Or do you just say like, I just won't use that joke if I'm not there? I mean, I I say I just won't go to Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good choice. Yeah. I really found like the more specific a material is, the the better it comes over. Mm -hmm. And when you try to make stuff more generic, it loses more people than it gets. So I I always feel like I, when I approach stuff, I'm always like. I never think the entire audience is going to like everything, which would be insane. Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like if you do stuff so that the people that do like it really like it, that's better than everybody kind of like it. Right? That makes sense. Makes all that sense. Uh, I just try uh, to not write jokes that are going to be like, oh man, uh, old people will hate this joke. Yeah. Or, <laughs> You know, this race will hate this joke. <laughs> that goes back to not being me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's it's if you're if you're doing a joke that intentionally alienates a whole group of people, it's probably not that good of a joke. Yeah. I do have a few jokes about the military that I always ask, is there anyone here from the military? And if they are, then I don't do that. <laughs> but that's I think the only exception. But I, I see that's almost worse than there is a there's a Boston comic who stabbed this probably actually still does have this like really hateful homophobic bit that's just like it's Day just days. it was me it yeah. was great uh, and, but it was just like horrific and uh, and he would always start it going like any gay dudes here and then like no one would say yes and be like good and then go into this thing and so one night he was on our show and and these two guys go <laughs> and then he goes oh I'm not going to do that bit <laughs> and, and then he goes tell went, no do it and then it was like this weird. <laughs> so he's like, no, I don't want to do it. Like, no, we want it here. So like, I would be nervous that if I was like, anyone in the military here, they're like, yes, but like, I'm not going to do that. Like, especially. I mean, that in our military. You're in the military here, yes. Thank you very much. I think I think I just pick the bits that I'm going to do for the crowd. It's not like I'm not doing them. It's just kind of like. That one can stay in Boston, and I'll do these other ones I wrote. I don't think it's so much censoring the joke, but also, like, other thing I've run into that's, I think, on that topic is, like, someone will ask me, like, can you do 10 minutes clean? Can you do 20 minutes clean? And I'll be like, yeah, I can do 10 minutes clean, but it's going to be liberal. Like, do you still want it? So that's something you figure out of town. You're like, oh, you don't like my liberalness. I can't do jokes here, so I'm not going to do that show. Well, that just reminded me of when you get, it usually happens more when you're hosting, and you get people like, it's my friend's birthday, will you make fun of him? Or, uh, and I, I'll, I always go, yeah, I'm happy, just have him meet me after the show. I'm happy to make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I'm like, that's a less weird thing you wanted me to make fun of your friend in front of the whole group. <laughs> if you brought your friend individually to me and were like, please make fun of him for two minutes, that would be less weird than what you <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I guess we've talked a lot about... Um, the different kind of comedy scenes in the New England area. So I guess if you guys could talk about like uh, your experience and, and describe them and your experience in each one of them and how do you do you like playing one versus the other or what like what your experiences with those have been? See, I feel like there isn't really a scene at all. <laughs> uh, there isn't. It's it's kind of a disparate series of islands that happen to be on the same map. So it's like there's not really. I mean, you have sort of slightly different contexts uh, of of audiences, but it's not really a. It's if not you, a coherent scene, especially now. Yeah. If you go to Nick's, you're going to see a different type of comedy show than you're going to see if you go to Improv Boston, or if you go to the Comedy Studio, or if you go to Dick Doherty's Howl at the Moon. Like, it's all, it's all, like, there are sets, and there are some people that just do, do perform everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot of people that don't. So, I mean, each, I feel like each of the room has their own feel. So it's almost like Boston has, like, nine different comedy scenes. Yeah, but it's almost like, a, yeah, you get people who just get lazy in a room, I think. And, and, you know, for everything, too. I mean, you get comics that will mostly only do open mics for other comics, and then you see them at a club, and they eat it, and the audience is like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, because they've developed a whole act that's just been trying to make 
their friends laugh, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, that's just as bad as the guy who's, you know, doing the same room forever and is doing like, well, oh, you got four kids, well, are you Mexican? Kind of crap. <laughs> because the people in that room love it. It's mm-hmm. like, Any other questions? Or? Um, I, mean, I have a question. So have any of you guys ever had jokes stolen from you? And if you had or have been in an experience where like you've seen it happen, like how does that work really in like stand-up world? I think... Uh, What's joke, the like courtesies or the rules around it? I think joke stealing is uh, not as big of a deal as people think that, they, that it is. People like will get mad about it and then it's just, you know, it's either parallel thinking or, you know, it's absorption or something. Like I, I had someone who was doing a bit of mine uh, who was from another state and we just did an open mic together like five years before and I think he heard me do the bit and then two years later was like oh I got this great bit and like he was cool about it like somebody had mentioned it to me I talked to him about it and he was like oh my god I had no idea like people are most comedians I don't think are like bad people and are just like looking to screw over other I think there definitely are some comedians who are bad people. No, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of comedians that are bad people. Out of town. They just don't have good memories. But yeah. I, I, think, I actually think that as much as I hate the way that stuff like Twitter has um, sort of changed the way that people consume comedy and it's sort of changed the way that like the entertainment industry wants things where they want very short, cut up, soundbite type stuff. One good thing about it is that whenever anything stupid happens, every idiot on the planet does a Twitter joke that they think they're the first person they thought of it. And so the good part is that sort of weeds out a lot of material that would easily fall into the you stole my bit category because it's been blown out in the three days after whoever died or mm-hmm. someone boobs fell out on TV or whatever. And then everyone kind of just moves on more quickly. So it happens a little bit less frequently. But like to those two guys that I was talking about earlier that were like having this big fight about. It was a terrible joke, and if I, if I said the joke, you guys would know who I was talking about in both instances. But they were like, you stole my bit. It's like, no, you guys just thought of the same generic yeah. joke, uh, which makes sense. So I think part of that is too, like if you make your stuff unique enough, it doesn't happen. Like I'm telling stories about stuff that happened to me. If someone steals that bit, like God bless them. Like good luck to you trying to remember that or have it seem, you know, be like me trying to do a bit about being a single mom or something. You know, like you're just yeah, making sense. Similar topic matter. Yeah, so. Subject I think if you do stuff that's you enough, it wouldn't happen. Uh, I guess, uh, what is the best and worst part of being a stand-up comic? <laughs> the worst part? I don't even know how to narrow that down. <laughs> yeah, I think the best part for me, uh, aside from like actually just having fun performing comedy, is like I've made a lot of like great friends and like these really amazing people that I probably never would have met otherwise. And the worst part is the other comedians. Those bad comedians. They're a lot. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I don't think. Again, I really don't think that they're inherently bad people. But there's just a ton of assholes. Around the no, there's bad, there's bad people that get drawn to comedy because there's a certain there's a certain lifestyle associated with it, or there was at one point where there's some of the people that get drawn to comedy are basically the people who would work at flea markets for a living or like join the circus if it was still around. <laughs> you know, they're like flim flam men and like the kind of people who are just like, yeah, I'd be, ri- I'd be ripping people off if I could still do it, but I'm a comedian instead because I can drink and stay up all night and I don't have to have a job. <laughs> you know, so you do get that and you do get people who are like egotistical maniacs who just think they're the best thing on earth um, just because that's, it's a performance art. <laughs> so that's going to draw people to it. But yeah, I, I don't know. The worst, the worst parts to me are having to sit through a lot of, a lot of people's rehearsal. <laughs> you sit through. I mean, it's like if you were playing. It's it, a lot of it is like if you ever gone to a guitar center. Yeah. And, and there's like those guys that just keep playing the one riff that they know. A lot of comedy shows are like sitting in guitar center. Like, so like that, that can be annoying. Yes. Yeah, you know, really, it's just like you have to sit and watch people practice, um, and that gets annoying after a few years because <laughs> you start to see the same things over and over again. But the other thing that that sort of bothers me is that you, 
one of the great things is that you, like you get to do a lot of cool stuff, and like I, I've gotten to do things that I, I constantly have to remind myself that I'm like, wow, I can't believe I have to do that thing, or like work with that person, or meet that person. But sort of the other side of the coin of that is, you know, you'll you'll perform at like a big venue with like tons of people, or with this, you have this amazing night, and then you go back to your day job the next day, you're sitting at this desk, and it's like. Is that a dream that I have? <laughs> it's very extreme. It's very extreme. So you, you, you end up getting kind of pulled up, you know, further apart than you would for the normal day to day. Yeah, like the highs and the lows. It's like the good and the bad at the, the same time. Mm -hmm. It does feel like you're living like separate lives while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Like, the best part is, like, when you do well and you're, like, got a high from it. It's like being on drugs. Was, I don't know what everyone here does drugs, but I used to. Like, you're like you're high and it's great, but then, like, you, you have, like, a bad one, you're low, and it sucks. And I think, like, I don't know if that affects everyone the same, but, like, when I have a bad set, I'm like, oh, I'm fucking terrible, let's do this again, so it'll be good next time. I'm like, oh, this is great, I'm on top of the world. And um, I'm saying all the weird stuff I think, and people like it. And this is absolutely the best thing I could have ever done with my life. And then the next day, it's like, why does my mom get why I do this? Like, <laughs> why do my friends think I'm silly? Like, that was a terrible set. So I would say, like, the, the mania of it. Yeah, and it's almost more extreme than, like, being in a band or something, too. Because if you play a show and you're in a band, you're like, they didn't like my songs. If you do comedy, it doesn't go well. You're like, they didn't like me. You know what I mean? It's sort of like it, 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 it has one less layer of protection. Okay. Uh, so I think we're on to our last question tonight. Unless anybody else has any questions they want to pose to our panel. Okay. Uh, a question we like to end our uh, stand-up sit-downs with. Uh, what is the best piece of comic advice you've been given so far? I'm still waiting to <laughs> Um, I got a good piece of advice from when I first started from uh, Joe Yanetti, who just happened to be doing a show up in New Hampshire, and he told me, um, uh, not like a hundred, I'll, I'll explain for later, he said, don't take advice from anyone, because most comedians want you to be more like them, and that's not what this is about, you need to be more like you, um, with exceptions, you know, if there's someone you like, you know, you can take advice, but you like, you can listen to advice, but you don't need to take it, mm -hmm. was basically what he was trying to tell me. So that was a good piece of advice. Um, and then also, don't cut my hair. <laughs> piece of advice. He said, don't cut my hair? <laughs> you him I wasn't doing his hair. That's how we met. Don't cut my hair. <laughs> um, I don't know. I can't think of any good real advice. Um, just like... Reminding yourself to do stuff for you, I guess, would be it. Like, don't, like, remember this is for, like, the audience. This is for you and the audience. Don't worry about, like, what your peers think, because that might hold you back. Mm -hmm. Was it good? That was good, it yeah. Was good? I'm trying to think. I only did, got you just see if, did you just see what Rick thought about what you said? <clears throat> yeah, I can be smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> Joey and Eddie actually gave me advice. He told me, be more like me. <laughs> I honestly don't really remember any advice I've gotten. Uh, I, for the most part, like most of the advice has never really been advice. It's just been like, yeah, keep keep that. That's pretty much it, uh, and that's good. I remember one person told me um, not to talk to him so much about my skin disease. Uh, no. Yeah, that was good. Is it your doctor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god, you got the patients here, huh? Um, See, it's funny because Dana Carnes, we had her last month and she said she got some very valuable advice from you. I like to give out a lot of good advice. Yeah. I got a lot of good advice up here. I fully made it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever given it to me because I'm um, untrustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't steal material, but he steals advice. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't really have it. I, people have... I, everything other comics have said to me has been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what, is the, what is the best comedy advice you would give to... that you would give to somebody, then? Uh, there is no destination. 
It is literally all journey. If you if you do it like with some goal or like the people who have like a calendar and they're like, and then in six months this should happen, and at a year this like just don't even do it because it's literally. All, you have to look at each show as that's the last one you're going to do and the first one you're going to do and just enjoy that one because there probably won't be any other ones and then just keep building on it because when you set these weird goals or this, this destination or this expectation of where you think you'll be with anything creative, you will just be frustrated and terrible at it. Yeah, like most, I feel like even all the like really big comedians, no matter how hard they work, they still fell into their careers. Uh, and fate is not in your hands. Like you can be as good, just be as good as you can be, and then you might get something, and yeah. you probably won't. Like you could spend, like, yeah, you could spend, you know, twenty, thirty years toiling away at comedy, and probably nothing's going to happen. And then you can look back at those twenty and thirty years and just be like, oh, well, that was a waste of time. Or you can just, you know, enjoy yourself while you're doing it. Yeah, just be like, like you don't have guys who really like bowling that. Go, oh, I wasted all those games because I didn't go pro. They'll bowl every week and they have fun at the game yeah. they play, and that's the next week they go, oh, I can't wait to go bowl next week. They're not like, and in six weeks, I'm going to get an endorsement deal from a bowl, ball shiner. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, uh, comedy is super fun to do. It's really fun to do, and it's also when you get to do it, you also get to watch other people do it, and that's really fun. Like, comedy is just, like, the best hobby I've ever had, uh, in so much that I'm never looking for another hobby. I just like doing this, uh, and that's gonna be it. I guess I give you a chance to be best comic advice you would give to somebody. Um. Cut your hair. <laughs> I would like all the girls to cut their hair. Um, no, uh, uh, here's this one I thought about lately. I don't know if I'm ta- I'm, I've been doing this long enough to be full of like really good, serious advice, but um, don't like write people off because you have bad set. They have a bad set. Like when you first start, you like see like oh that person thinks they're really good and they get all this stuff. I saw them at this show and it wasn't great. Like you know, keep an open mind and. Also, like, try not to talk shit and we'll come back and fight you in the mm-hmm. butt. There's no reason to do it. Unless the person really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Let's get into that. <laughs> Alright, thanks. Do we have any more questions? Anybody have anything you want to... Alright, I want to thank our panelists for doing this. Alright, that is the end of the Santa Sit Down. That was it. You can listen and learn about our show's present, past, and future, as well as bonus content and more on our website at the susd.tumblr.com, where you can also submit questions for our future guests at our next show. Thanks for listening. This has been Stand Up Sit Down, a show organized by comedians Kasi Mensa, Christine Ahn, and other friends. Bye.